and with me is not Josh Patterson today, but the wonderful Matthew Thrift. How's it going, Matt? Hey, doing pretty well, man. How are you doing today? Doing well, especially, you know, since Josh isn't here, that always lifts my spirits. Um, (laughs) Hopefully he doesn't hear that. Hopefully he never listens to this episode. Um, I love you, Josh. But anyway... uh, uh, overall, I'm doing pretty well. You know, the I think last time on the last episode we talked about how the Avs were kind of slumping pretty hard. Did we? Oh, did yeah. we talk about that? Um, <laughs> they've won like four or five games since then, so that's been a big relief. Oh man. Um, yeah, they've they've been coming. We're in a playoff spot again, so that's oh, nice. exciting. Um, and you know what? Speaking of hockey stuff, there was something pretty exciting for Ovechkin this week too, right? Dude, yeah, for Did sure. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He scored. He scored like his forty-fifth goal. This is like his tenth forty-fifth goal season. Forty-five goal season. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, which I could be, but if I'm not mistaken, I believe that that would be. Isn't that the the longest streak for any player in the history of the NHL? Yeah, that's yeah. That's the most forty-five goal seasons of any player. I don't know if he has the most total goals, but he has the most forty-five goal seasons. Which that's is what I was thinking. Yeah, no, pretty impressive. Oh, for sure. Especially yeah. considering how old he is, you know, like he's pretty old. <laughs> yeah, he's getting. <laughs> he's, he's not getting a. Up there. <laughs> he's not a, he's not a young whippersnapper anymore. Yeah. No, unfortunately <laughs> so that's pretty not. impressive. I don't know what we'll do when he's gone. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there. You guys are going to have to go into rebuilding phase eventually. It's going to have to happen. Oh, for sure. No, that's, that's <laughs> one of these days it'll happen. But <laughs> no, no, not no. this year. Not this year. Well, anything else exciting going on with you right now? Anything new, fresh? Not a whole ton. We've just got a uh, got a two week old baby now, so she's doing pretty well. Two she's weeks, mostly wow. sleeping through the night, and then uh, the two year old is thank God actually sleeping through the night while she is as well. Wonderful. So we're doing all right around here. That's about the most we can ask for at this point. <laughs> so, That's good. No, That's doing really good. Well. Definitely. That's awesome. Definitely. Well, um, this episode is very exciting. We have an all, quite the all-star lineup. I mean, obviously, we have Matthew Thrift with us. Uh, but then also, I'm excited to introduce to everyone our guest today, uh, Mr. Ben Hine, or maybe we should say the Reverend Ben Hine. Is that how, how you prefer to be addressed? Uh, I prefer Ben. That's fine. Okay, Ben. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Ben, welcome to Theology Doesn't Suck. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, we're excited. So, um, so Ben is someone who I met uh, in my time in Maryland, and I don't know if I ex- if we said this before we started recording, but uh, Matthew also lives in Maryland. Oh um, yeah, Carroll County, <laughs> different part of Maryland. Yeah, Carroll County. Ben lives in Rockville, right? Yeah, Northern are you in Gaithersburg mm-hmm. technically? No, Northern Rockville. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. So, very different uh, sections of Maryland. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah but, a little bit. But we're excited. <laughs> I'm excited to get another Maylander on the podcast. I think, was it uh, Pastor Pete who introduced us, or was it Charlie? Uh, technically, I think it was Charlie. Um, okay. Yeah, Charlie's the senior Charlie. pastor at our church, uh, and I think he probably met you first. Yeah, and uh, and that's how we got yeah, connected. So. Okay, well, um, going into that, I guess, why don't you just give us a little background about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? Uh, what what's your favorite hockey team? Even if you don't like hockey, that's mandatory on this podcast, just so you know. So, <laughs> um, well, I can start with the last question. I'm not I'm not all that into hockey. I apologize. <clears throat> I do like to watch hockey uh, live. Okay. I like I like live hockey, uh, perhaps better than most live sports. Um, but I guess I just have to default to the Caps. 
Uh, okay. You know, but Heck yeah. I, Matt remembered I again. <laughs> I couldn't tell you much of anything about them. Um, so I, I basically follow right. Dallas Cowboys. Particularly, I follow Dallas Cowboys during the football season, and then when the season's done, uh, that I'm sported <laughs> out. I'm sports. Okay. I'm, sport, I'm sports balled out at that point. Sports um, balled out. Yeah. So well, technically. Technically, hockey does not have a ball, so it's true. It's a puck. <laughs> yeah, see, that's new information for me. I did not, I did not know that. Uh, so that's that's new to me. Um, yeah, so I am an assistant pastor at Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in uh, Rockville, Northern Rockville, Maryland, outside of Washington D.C. Uh, we are a PCA church. Uh, the church is about thirty years old. I moved here in 2017. Uh, to start as my role here as assistant pastor, uh, I moved from Northern Virginia, so also kind of outside D.C., but across the river. Uh, let's see. Uh, I could maybe just give a couple other things. I, I became a Christian um, after college, so as an adult, which sort of has impacted me in, in several ways, some of which may come out uh, as we're talking today about our topics uh, and sort of how do I sort of approach uh, certain issues and approach the world. Um, I quickly sensed a call to ministry after I became a Christian. This was in 2010. Uh, so I quickly sensed a call to ministry, started seminary in 2012. I was on the, uh, eternal track. So I finished in five years, um, <laughs> which isn't quite as long as some guys take uh, up here in DC. Cause most, most of us are working one or two jobs while doing school. Um, so finished up here at RTS DC in 2017, I was fortunate enough to get a call here at Shady Grove. Uh, married, we married for six years to my wife Neva uh, in August, and we have a 14-month-old son Felix. So, uh, Sweet. yeah, that's sort of me in a nutshell. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, we're excited to talk to you today. Yeah. Uh, the topic, the topic that we have slated for today, which I mean, who knows where we'll go, but uh, the topic that we have slated today is. Uh, Christ and culture, I guess, would be a good way to summarize it. We just wanted to talk to you kind of about how Christians should think about engaging the culture around us, yeah. um, how we should think of how we can dialogue with the world around us, how we can engage in healthy discussion, healthy cultural engagement, sure, um, and maybe avoid, and we'll get into maybe a little bit of what this looks like later, but avoid some of the extremes that can come with either uh, just extreme anti-culture, like sure. Fundy style mentality or the opposite extreme of just embracing everything in the culture is good all the time. Sure. Um, so, uh, that's, that's where we're wanting to go today. And I guess just to start out, uh, I, I wanted to ask you guys, have, are you guys familiar with, uh, Richard? I don't know how you say his last name. Niebuhr? I think it's Nibur. Nibur. There yeah. you go. Yeah. yeah. Are you familiar with his, he has a, I thought this would be a good way to start us off. He has sure. a book, uh, called Christ and culture talking about, uh, the different kind of some different major views of how Christianity and culture are related, sure. and he has kind of five main views. Have you guys yep. heard of that or read that? Or yeah, I was gonna I was familiar? gonna bring him up uh, just because I don't think you can have <laughs> uh, a conversation about sort of Christianity and culture without at least a throwaway comment uh, to Niebuhr. <laughs> yeah, so. of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So so I, I guess may, Ben, you're probably gonna be able to correct me. It's been a long time since I read that book, so. Uh, but I, I thought maybe we could just start by looking at the five positions really quickly and sure. then talking about, I guess, where we fall. Sure. Um, so the first position that he lays out uh, is Christ against culture. 
which would be kind of the the throwaway joke I made about fundies, you know? Uh, like, like everything from the world is evil. You need to completely separate yourself from it. Like there's nothing redeemable about it. It's just all awful. Um, and, and then, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what either of you consider yourself adherence to that view. I'm going to guess no. (laughs) No, I I would Um, say though, (laughs) I would say I wouldn't necessarily call it the fundamentalist view because I think you're, you're going to find, um, this is something that Niebuhr admits himself that no person, once they actually get out into the world, sticks to any one model. Uh, so I think yeah, you're going to find, um, so for example, when you get to the, the fifth view, which is um, the Christ transforming culture, I mean, this would be where a lot of religious right folks fall in. Uh, but, yeah. then, but it's sort of where I fall in as well. But I don't consider myself part of the religious right, which I would consider very fundamentalist. So I think just sort of remembering, yeah, good... you know, it's not necessarily... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the model necessarily coincides with that. But yeah, you're you're that with, the enough, idea of a, withdrawing from culture. You know, yeah, culture yeah. is evil. Like there's nothing the, in the in the pure form of this model. There's nothing good in the culture that can be kept or redeemed in any way. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so then the next model he gives, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, is Christ. Uh, Christ of no Christ and culture. Christ of culture. Right? Is that Christ of culture. Okay. Yeah. And that's basically the polar opposite, which yep. is like, uh, you know, culture is great. Everything in the world is awesome. And God gave it to us because it's awesome. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm, I'm summarizing in really, in really, really dumb terms, but, and he, he kind of associates this in his book with, uh, Protestant liberalism a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that kind of vein of thought, any, I, I mean, I guess once again, I, I don't think, like you just kind of hinted at, would either of you consider yourself adherents of Christ of culture? No, <laughs> no, not quite on that. Not on that no. side. No. <laughs> um, and then, and then we get into the the final one. He he gives it an overarching title of Christ above culture, but then he breaks it down into three distinct positions. Um, and so the first one, if I remember correctly, he calls the synthesis position, or also known as Christ and culture. Um, which maybe Ben, you can maybe explain that one better than I can because I'm, I don't remember exactly how he describes that one. Yeah, uh, well, I don't remember uh, with Christ above culture being an yep. overarching view. Like I, I'm still, uh, so I have Christ above culture as my framework for Niebuhr, and then uh, two other distinct views, which is Christ and culture and paradox, or Christ transforming yep. culture. So. Yeah. Okay. Which maybe that's a better way to describe it. Yeah. So Christ above culture basically would be, um, <clears throat> the kind of like the Roman Catholic model almost, right? Of like Christ, you, like you just have to make the Christian culture almost like Christendom. Yeah. It's a more moderate view of, of the Christ of culture. So it sort of, it wants to affirm things about culture, but also recognizes that culture can't take you to Christ who is above culture. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So it's sort of a little bit more of a moderate view uh, not, qu- not quite as much in like just like all out celebrating of culture, you know. Okay. So good. And then uh, the the one that I guess I would I would probably say that I adhere the most to would be Christ and culture and paradox, mm-hmm. um, which sees kind of a fundamental distinction and tension between Christ and culture is the idea as as I understand it at least, mm-hmm. which is, um, and not necessarily, again, as I understand it, maybe you can correct this, it's been a long time since I've read the book, not necessarily uh, 
seeing culture as completely purely evil or completely good, but just as distinct. And so it's there's kind of just a tension and a paradox between being a Christian and also engaging and being part of culture. I don't know. Would you explain it a little differently, or? Yeah, I would maybe say. Um, I think you're. I think you're getting pretty close to the mark. Uh, definitely attention. Um, I think there's sort of this idea that culture's corrupted, but it's still possible to be an obedient and faithful Christian in the culture without completely withdrawing from it. Right. But yeah. recognizing, trying to draw a, a pretty, pretty firm distinction between yeah. Christ and the church and the culture. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that's probably the camp I'd fall closest into. Although I, I just like you said, Niebuhr would say no one like perfectly follows any model. And I definitely don't perfectly follow that model. But, uh, um, and then the last position, since I'm, since I believe it's the one that you would hold most closely to Ben, we want to introduce the last one, Christ transforming culture. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Christ transforming culture, this would be the <laughs> one, um, that, Students of Niebuhr would say that Niebuhr himself probably most fell into. Uh, I think you're going to find a lot of, in particular, I think you're going to find a lot of Reformed Christians landing there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of evangelicals probably land there. I don't know how much outside the Reformed camp. Uh, but essentially this idea of taking, yes, taking the corruption of the culture seriously, uh, but also with this idea of if we're living faithfully to the kingdom, um, and we're living faithful to kingdom ethics and kingdom application as Christ calls us to, then we will see some sense of the kingdom moving forward in this world uh, and hmm. seeing culture transformed or renewed in some way. Now, then within that camp, and I think this is where you're going to try and take the conversation is how much can you expect, you know, realistically yeah. and, and all of that. And there, that's where there's going to be plenty of disagreement in the, you know, transformer camp. So. Yeah. Okay. Not quite and, to the Decepticon, Matt, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, with Autobots, whatever level, but still disagreement. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was an interesting comparison. That's not what I would have thought of. <clears throat> um, and Matt, just out of curiosity, what, where would you see yourself out of kind of on this framework we've laid out? Yeah, I think um, probably similar. I think... I guess my opinion would be almost anything, not everything, but almost anything could be redeemed for Christ. Um, so like, I don't know, I, I guess probably more along the lines of where it sounds like you're landing in on that one, Andy, um, but kind of somewhere in between you guys. So it's kind of, okay. yeah, I, I guess uh, I didn't, I, I grew up like in, in our household, like uh, I think when I was a little kid, I probably was like six years old when my dad was reading Calvin, but like <laughs> nice. by, the, by the same All token, right. it's been a while since I've been in the uh, reformed camp myself or, or anywhere around there. Um, so I'm still yeah. getting my feet back wet in that one. So, <laughs> okay. I so, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah well, um, and so that's interesting. And I, and I will admit too, I'm, I'm maybe in a similar boat in the sense that I've kind of waffled back and forth between those last two views a little bit. I mean, I've read, I went through a phase where I felt like I was going to go like super high Kuyperian, like, like ultra hardcore, like transform the culture. Like Jesus is Lord of everything, you know, like theonomy, the full nine yards. Um, but, <laughs> but anyway, uh, but I've kind of drawn back a little from that, but uh, I wanted to ask you, Ben, just, because one thing that's stuck out to me at times and maybe will stick out to some listeners is um, 
how does the Christ transforming culture view play out differently or how is it distinct from the Christ of culture view? Sure. Uh, well, I think the Christ of culture view, um, I've, I kind of have my own little model that I work with Okay. and, uh, and maybe I can explain this a little more as, as we go, but I think the Christ of culture is going to lean heavy on celebrating what's good in culture. And I think the, again, within the transforming culture camp, you're going to find those who maybe are a little bit center left in the sense of maybe being uh, more towards the celebration side. And then you're going to have center right folks who are a little bit more towards like skepticism on the culture or a little bit more negative view of the culture. Uh, But I think within the transforming culture view, there's, there's a sense of we're going to celebrate culture, but we're also going to try and cultivate it. Uh, so, for example, I might, yeah. be, I might try and look for what's good in the culture. I might try and look for, uh, you know, that people value friendship, right? Yeah. But I want to try and cultivate that then in a godly way, uh, uh, recognizing the deficiencies of how um, non-Christians might view friendship as still being more self-centered, looking for people who affirm me for self-love and all that. So... I want to create spaces for friendship and I want to bring people in uh, to create those friendships, but I want to cultivate that desire for friendship in a godly way that has a more robust picture of sort of the one another's that scripture calls us to. And so I think trying to capitalize on what we sense that people are maybe looking for in this, in this example, like friendship, uh, but then trying to cultivate it in a kingdom way. Uh, whereas I think okay. in a Christ Christ of culture, it would kind of just be like, yeah, just totally almost in agreement more. So with yeah, people who are not really challenging them that much. Or, yeah. yeah. So so you would say the Christ transforming culture doesn't, um, doesn't prevent you from <clears throat> recognizing serious problems in the culture. Absolutely or not. Like rejecting what is wrong. Right. Yeah. I think, okay. um, I think one of the things we see the Apostle Paul doing, for example, in the book of Acts, uh, one of the best examples of this is um, Acts 17, but we've been doing um, a series on 1 Corinthians, and so uh, I've been studying 1 Corinthians a lot more in detail, and he does this He does this a, a lot more, uh, I've, I've noticed in, in other areas as well, just not as explicitly, but he takes, he takes a cultural artifact, in this case in Acts 17, he's taking the unknown God, right? And he's mm-hmm. affirming that, you know, what you say is unknown, I'm telling you is known. So he's taking... This, this statue, what they worship as being unknown, and then he's using that as a platform to get to the gospel, right? And so in that sense, there's sort of this uh, affirming. You know, he affirms that they're worshiping. He is, he's affirming this, this, this sense of a, a deity, the sense of a sort of a overarching deity in their culture, but then he's challenging it and saying he's taking that and using it as a, a way to preach the gospel. He does that all the time in 1 Corinthians. Like he's... Uh, it's just chock full of quotes of pagan philosophy. Uh, Plato yeah. and all sorts of stuff is, is all throughout First Corinthians, and he's using that as a, as a stepping point to get to Christian truth. And so I think that's, a, that's that idea of challenging and affirming, uh, finding what yeah. you can take that's good, uh, but then still challenging what isn't, doesn't square with the Christian worldview. So. Hmm. It's good. Um, I did want, I wanted to ask too, uh, just as we're introing kind of this view as, as someone who holds to the Christ transforming culture view, 
Um, how do you see that squaring with or working with uh, passages like like the ones we see in James, where it talks about like you know friendship with the world is enmity with God, things like that. Passages that kind of talk about the world in a very negative way. Um, how do you how do you fit those in with your understanding of culture? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think <clears throat> I think it's um, uh, I think we need a robust picture of what Scripture yeah. says, and certainly there are warnings. Uh, warnings about the culture um again even i'm thinking in in first corinthians this is like all in my brain right now but you 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 see you see the tension running throughout scripture but you also see um positive statements of culture or positive interactions with the world uh so you have all sorts of um i mean first of all we have to we have to wrestle with what does it mean to be the salt of the world that means it would be in the world to some degree right so you have to wrestle with passages like that you have to wrestle with passages um, where we read in First Peter or elsewhere about uh, non-believers seeing our good works that they'll glorify our God uh, who's in heaven, yeah. right? And so we have these interactions with non-Christians um, that lead to praise ultimately. And so uh, you know we just have to wrestle with that full picture. And I would almost say if yeah. you pull James, I would just use the comparison of the justification debate. Well, James seems to make it about works, but Paul seems to make it about yeah. grace. Uh, so what's the deal there? Well, you have to get both sides of the yeah. coin, right? Yeah. And so that's and, and I'm definitely <clears throat> I'm definitely not saying that just like quoting that verse in James like shuts down that whole view. <laughs> I was just just curious if you if you had thoughts on how it squares with it because it is one of those things kind of like in the justification uh, debate um, where on the surface it would seem to disagree, um, but of course I think you would say there's a much fuller picture that when you put it all together it makes sense, right? Yeah, and I, I think. I think uh, if you if you just wrestle with uh, some of the some of the kingdom parables in the gospels, you wrestle yeah. with the parables that are in Matthew thirteen. Uh, Jesus seems to have very much a picture of Christians who are in the world, like the wide yeah. net, you know, and uh, the leaven that works out works its way into into the flour, so that everything becomes leavened right you have to wrestle with what is he talking about there it seems to be a very wide picture of the christian influence in the world and how the kingdom is going to work and so keeping those things together yeah that's good yeah awesome well um i appreciate you kind of expanding on that position a little bit more for us yeah definitely i think um i guess the way i view it I guess the way I would be looking at it is kind of along the same lines as like, obviously just looking at who Jesus hung out with himself and, and uh, surrounded himself with, I think it would be pretty hard to say that he was trying to separate himself from the entire world and, and uh, kind of keep himself away from like the unclean people or, or, or what you might say. Um, So I think just looking at, the way I viewed is looking at the way, like who Jesus surrounded himself with, I think kind of gives me the inspiration for uh, what my, uh, my own ministry and culture would look like. I suppose like I, I've been, <laughs> been surrounded by a lot of people who uh, wouldn't want to go out to, um, I don't know, like a, a bar or a dirty back alley or whatever it might be and, and talk with people about Jesus just because of how it might look. And, um, 
I, I hear a lot of people talk about like the uh, the appearance of evil <laughs> is is always yeah. always the verse that comes up, and I could go on about that one for a while. But but I, I guess the way I look at it is just yes, there is something to be said for Christians holding themselves to a certain standard, but also obviously if if we're called to go out into the world and make disciples how can we go out into the world if if we're uh just kind of sitting in our churches talking with people who look and sound just like us doesn't always work as well <laughs> so yeah i guess that'd be the way i view it yeah yeah i, I one more thought um maybe before yeah. we move on but uh i have been really um struck actually like I said, going through First Corinthians more in detail, uh, here you have this church that's very much been, um, in some ways, corrupted by the culture, uh, and in some ways even worse than the culture. You know, there's these examples yeah. with the sexual <laughs> sin where Paul says, even the pagans don't do that. You know, like even even yeah. even outsiders don't do what you're doing. Um, and so, you know, they they they're having this class-based time of the Lord's Supper where people are coming going away hungry while the rich are getting their full, you know, just these really just, man, like you guys have really not wrestled with what it means to be a Christian, you know, it's, you kind of yeah. get this impression. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the classic, the classic passage uh, on contextualization for first Corinthians nine is in the middle of this section where Paul is really laying out this huge argument about why Christians should be very quick to give up their rights uh, for the good of yeah. others. And so you have this passage in first Corinthians nine, 19 to 23, where he's, using this, this expression, when, and all. He says when five times and all six times. And so, and he talks about the Jews, uh, those under the law, those who are outside the law, those who are weak, and then becoming all things to all people that I might save some. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and so you, you have to, re- again, wrestle with that, like, what would it take for a Christian to be so flexible in the culture that they could become like a Jew, that they could become like an outside uh, irreligious person, maybe someone relate to someone from another religion, you know, like a weak person who's maybe, um, cast out by the culture, uh, that requires a lot of flexibility on the part of the Christian, uh, to be able to do that and not to, he doesn't say to, uh, agree with their worldview. He doesn't say that he's saying to try and work your way in, uh, so that you might win some, uh, with the gospel. And so, I don't think he's at all advocating that you go soft in the gospel or that you give up, you know, Christian issues or that you, you know, break the law of Christ or anything like that. Uh, but just relating to relating to folks. And so I think that's a, that's a challenge. It's a real challenge for, for a lot of people to be able to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great point. That's a really, that passage is very relevant to what we're talking about too. That's a good, it's a good passage to bring in as well. Um, yeah. I did want to ask you too. One thing that came to my mind as as Matt was talking is, uh, do you see a distinction between uh, dealing with institutions uh, in terms of cultural engagement? Like the in your desire to transform culture, do you see institutions as a critical part of that? Do you see institutions as separate from that? Because uh, what came to my mind when Matt was talking was. Um, was when we're looking at the example of Jesus, obviously he goes out and engages with and spends time with a lot of people of all different backgrounds. Um, but we rarely, well, really never see him uh, working for institutional transformation. So how do institutions play into this idea of cultural transformation? Sure. In your view? Um, 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I don't really want to spend a lot of time on that because I think it can quickly become heated, especially with all the conversations uh, surrounding, say, social justice or something like that. Okay. Uh, but I, I don't see, uh, while we might not see examples of um, Jesus per se going after an institution, I'm not sure how relevant that is to the conversation uh, because for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think when uh, he challenges, let's say, the Pharisees or the Sadducees, that very much is an institutional challenge. So I think that's institutional mm-hmm. power. Uh, so it's not like when he challenges one group of Pharisees, it's not that he's challenging the Pharisees as, as individuals. He's challenging the rule of the Pharisees as a whole, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I would say from that perspective, I wouldn't want to draw necessarily too much of a line on whether Jesus ever tackles institutional power. Uh, but I think in okay. terms of a, a kingdom uh, kingdom mindset, uh, Gerhardus Voss has been uh, really helpful for me here. And I say Gerhardus Voss um, because both from interacting with him, but also because I think he's interacted or he, he shaped a lot of people who have shaped me. And mm-hmm. uh, so for, for Voss, when he's talking about what it looks like for the kingdom to manifest itself uh, in this world, uh, he would say, uh, you're you're going to see that uh, sort of the the, the locus, the, the focal point where you're going to see it, where you should see it most manifested is in the church, uh, because here yeah. you have a collection of folks who have been redeemed by the gospel of the kingdom and who are endeavoring mm-hmm. to live out according to the gospel of the kingdom. But he would also say that wherever you see Christians in the world uh, engaging in a way that aligns with kingdom ethics or kingdom obedience, there too will be uh, at least some kind of manifestation of the kingdom there. And so while the church, um, a church, a local church may decide like we're not going to tackle an institutional uh, endeavor, although, again, I think churches do that all the time with like the abortion issue. Um, But I think at the very least we could say Christians, if they're living uh, faithfully according to the kingdom in this world, that they'll inevitably be working their way into institutions and trying to live according to the kingdom there and, yeah, you know, seeing institutions yeah, reformed as Christians are at work. At the very least, I think we should be able to say that. That's um, and that's a fundamental question too. I think. I mean, a lot of times in reform circles, I think one of the I don't know if it's a challenge to, but maybe one of the questions that comes up with the Christ transforming culture view is the idea of the spirituality of the church mm-hmm. um, and the understanding, you know, that the church uh, is has its mission and it's in some fundamental way distinct from the world and. Sh- and so there's an idea, and I think I would probably align with this to some degree, that um, the church as an the church as an organization or as an institution uh, should not be so concerned with like cultural issues or transforming cultural institutions and things like that. Um, but I think for some people, at least, that could be different than saying that individual Christians can't do that. I think some people would say the church as an organization shouldn't be working on that, uh, but individual Christians should be. So. Do you, do you see a distinction between maybe the work of the church and the work of Christians as individuals, or do you not see a distinction there? Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a tough question. Again, uh, we could go a million ways with that. Uh, of course, yeah. And, so, and I have to like, kind of distinguish like, my personal preferences here. Uh, so I personally uh, stay pretty far out of like, the political realm, uh, as an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, and I think... A lot of reform folks would agree with me there, not advocating, let's say, for a particular candidate. 
uh, yeah. which kind of represents an institutional power dynamic uh, from the pulpit or anything like that. Um, but I do have a hard time distinguishing uh, individual actions from what I want to see the what what I want to see a church or like the body of Christ doing together. And what I've really been trying to wrestle through a lot recently is um, what exactly is my perspective and where did my perspective come from and what is what is good about my perspective, what is not good about my perspective, or maybe was incomplete about my perspective. And I think uh, Western evangelicals, we tend to be very individualistic. And so yeah. that we have this pretty strong emphasis on what the individual should do as separated from sort of the social dynamic. And I'm just not sure if that would be the majority view of Christians throughout church history, number one, or if it would even be the view of the global church today. And so it's recognizing, okay, like, do I have a limitation in my view? And is there something that I'm not considering there? Um, and that's sort of what, where, I've, where I've been wrestling with that and... I think sometimes we draw a harder line between the individual and the social dynamic maybe than scripture calls for. Uh, maybe we go, mm -hmm. we go too far on that. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Were you going to say something, Matt? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's hard to distinguish the, the difference between the, the church as a body and the, and the church being a singular person. I know that kind of sounds, naive or, or, or whatever. But I, I think the way that I would view it is just kind of along the lines of like, I am part of the church, just the same as you guys are part of the church. Even if we may have, I mean, obviously, even if we may have different, like uh, different opinions or disagreements on, on different points of theology or whatever it may be. Um, so I think it's hard, like when you're looking at, I mean, personally speaking, like I'm part of a non-denominational church. Um, so we don't have like a overarching uh, denomination that's like, out there got a public face or whatever aside from the fact that like non-denominational is basically its own denomination <laughs> but <Yeah>. like <laughs> yeah. but like with that being said uh i guess the way the way i look at it is like it's kind of hard to for me personally it's kind of hard for me to um separate my political and and i'm certainly not like a, a largely political person online or anything like that mostly because i just don't have time to deal with uh <laughs> facebook comments nor do i think it's productive for anybody but uh but like I, I try not to speak too much my political opinion online or anything like that but i think it's hard to separate my political opinion from my religious opinion and i, I think you guys would agree obviously your your religious opinion is going to uh help you formulate your your political thoughts and that sort of thing so i think for me i guess i guess it would be hard for me to kind of separate where I end and where the church begins in a, in a strange way. Um, mm -hmm. so I guess, I don't know. I, I was kind of wondering like where, uh, I, I guess it, it could be different as well, given the fact that like, I'm not part of a, a, a denomination or whatever it may be, but like, <clears throat> what, do, what yeah. is, uh, like, are, do both of you guys go to Presbyterian churches? Is yeah. We're both PCA That's guys. That's what I thought. Um, <laughs> I just wasn't sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say I'd, I tend to have a higher view of like the institutional church, um, mm -hmm. which may contribute to my understanding of like a distinction between what the church should do as like an official organization and what Christians do. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, like in their own lives. But um, there's a lot more we could talk about there, but for the sake of time, I want to move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, 
Um, one more kind of just background question, I guess, before we get into some specifics of maybe what you've been doing and, and some of the on the ground stuff. Um, sure. I wanted to ask maybe Ben first, but maybe both of you guys, do you think that um, our understanding of how Christians should relate to culture is uh, necessarily tied to our eschatology? Because I know for me, when I, when I look at it, I see, and I don't know what your eschatological views are, Ben, but when I see Christ transforming culture, I think that to me, that seems like it must be heavily tied to an optimistic kind of post-millennialism, like the idea of the world's going to get better until the kingdom is fully here. Whereas I would be amillennial, which was, which I think is a big thing that pushes me away from that view. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, again, I, 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 um, there, there is some tie there, but I consider myself amillennial. Uh, okay. And for those listening who maybe aren't um, quite familiar with what that means, amillennial would sort of say like we are in the last age now, uh, but the kingdom is already and not yet. And so uh, mm-hmm. when Christ came uh, the first time, when he came, as we read in the Gospels, he he inaugurated the kingdom, but the kingdom won't be consummated. It won't be completed. It won't arrive in its fullness until he comes again. Uh, and so I think with that view, you know, for me as an amillennialist, I think, okay, I should be, I should be living as if the kingdom is already here. Okay. Right. Because yeah. it is, it's all, it's already, uh, it's not yeah. yet, but it's already. And so, yeah. uh, Christians should be living as if the kingdom already is, uh, because it is. Yeah. And so uh, then the question is, as we do so, right, as we as we live according to the kingdom, what can we expect to happen? Okay, uh, so f- I, so for you personally, it's not tied to necessarily like an optimistic post-millennial view. I don't think so, no. Okay, uh, yeah. It could be, but I don't, I don't think so. Okay, that's good. That's, and that's helpful for me because that's not necessarily something I would have considered before. Yeah. Yeah, I... Yeah. Um, I'm I'm pretty big on you know uh, with that with being an amillennial millennialist I'm just you know okay if I if I say that if I say the kingdom is already yeah and that should really pr- make a pretty drastic change on how I live like I should I should take the kingdom parables and the call Christ has uh, to what a kingdom citizen look like uh, looks like pretty seriously yeah um, you know that should really and- yeah. And and that kind of leads us to where you were where you earlier anticipated this going, um, and the answer would be different for someone who's post millennial probably. But for you, where do where do you see, um, I guess the line being drawn in terms of what to expect as far as cultural transformation? Like, how much should Christians should we expect to win the entire culture over to Christendom, or like what what do you see as like sure. the expectation? Sure. Um... I don't think there's a metric. Yeah. So in terms of the whole, the whole culture being one, uh, I think that would be a a certain kind of metric that I'm not sure if we're able to use. Uh, I think more, maybe the better question would be, uh, what should we expect that non-Christians, non-Christians might get from interacting with Christians? Maybe that might be a a way that I sort of frame the question. And what I think about that is, is you read again, all of these things about what a kingdom citizen looks like. And you look at how Jesus lived as the King of his kingdom. Um, I think we should have a certain 
um, there should be a certain refreshing experience in, with interacting with Christians that you can't find yeah. elsewhere. And yeah, I think even, even when people come away disagreeing with us, uh, even about heavy issues, abortion, uh, maybe gender issues, marriage, all these things, I think there should still be a sense of I was respected. Uh, I wasn't talked down to. I wasn't, you know, uh, there was no name calling. Like it was still a, it was, wow, that was actually a refreshing discussion. You know, I think, I think that should be the expectation wherever Christians are, there should be a sort of refreshment to the culture. Yeah. Uh, and now whether yeah. or not uh, the culture ever becomes one for Christ or anything like that, I, I don't think we have uh, maybe the ability to, to, again, measure that in any way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. That's good. No, and the interesting thing is, I think I would agree with you on a lot of these points. Um, where I think I might disagree more is on some of the institutional stuff, but we won't go there today. Yeah. Um, but but I do think I agree with you on a lot of those points of of that Christians. I mean, it goes back to kind of what we mentioned earlier of being salt and light. Like Christians should be this this different presence in the culture, yeah. um, something something distinct and that's shining the light of the gospel through through everything we do in the culture. But um, And you've been doing something. I don't know. Maybe you feel like this is too early to jump there, but if, if so, just let me know. You've been doing something, I think, that's trying to accomplish that goal, um, something that you call, you've called Rockville on Tap, if yeah. I remember correctly. Um, yeah. And so I was wondering if, if you could explain a little about what that is and what you've been trying to accomplish with that. Sure. Sure, yeah. Um, happy to jump there now. I do want to come back to a couple things uh, okay. on the culture, though. Maybe just a couple, at least from my perspective, uh, we'll loop around for Christians we'll loop. To, to think about culture. Uh, yeah, so the way that I've been trying to do this, um, and, and again, I, I think, uh, so the model that I've kind of worked with, uh, I can tell you about, I'm, I'm going to segue here to, to Rockville and Tap in a second. Uh, but okay. When, I've tried to boil this down to a couple key concepts. So you take you take Niebuhr or you take your view on the kingdom, you take your view on uh, eschatology and all these things. Like, what does that really mean? Sort of boil that down to um, ground level stuff for yeah. folks, right? So where I try to find myself is, okay, I want to I be in a place where I can, I can take a cultural issue. Uh, I can take something going on, something in front of me, and I can say, okay, is this something that I need to condemn? Right, and if so, like to what degree, or is this, or is there something here that I can celebrate, uh, and to what degree? And I think that's kind of my starting point. But then we have to do something with, with that. Um, and so what, what I've kind of said is, I don't think Christians should be folks who condemn uh, unless they're creating something in culture. And what I mean by that is, if if we're just outright condemning people all the time, if we're just like talking down about the culture, but we're not actually invested in the culture and we're not actually doing something about the issues we're condemning, then we're just, we're just critics. That's all we are. We're, we're, we're taking shots from the cheap sheets, cheap seats, and we're not actually doing anything about, or, or another way to think about it, we're just complaining. We're just sort of complaining from the cheap seats and we're not doing anything about the culture uh, or the issues that we have in front of us. On the other side, if we're celebrating something good in the culture, uh, we should be cultivating it in some way. And what I mean by that there is if we're not sort of then trying to take what we think is good about the culture, but then shape it in a godly Christian kingdom way, then we kind of just become consumers of the culture, right? And we just sort of take, mm -hmm. take, take, and we're not actually 
uh, and then we're becoming shaped by the culture and then we, you know, on a downhill slope from there. Uh, and so for me, I try and take those things and I say, okay, so where am I right now in my context? Am I in a place where I need to be condemning something or celebrating something? And uh, in, our, in our culture, in our suburbs, we're seeing this loss of friendship. We're seeing this loss of relationship, this real sort of hatred for other people. Like we can't even have a conversation anymore. Uh, people are just, people are lonely. Uh, they're talking into their sort of their vacuums, right? And only hearing people like them, which just makes them hate other people more. And I sort of thought, you know, I could sit here and just complain about that. Or I could condemn that and say, man, like people are doing a, a terrible job. Or I could actually get involved and try and provide a refreshing presence where people could actually try and connect and build relationships in a fruitful way. And so that's sort of the idea behind Rockville on Tap. Uh, it's, uh, we hold it at a brewery. It's actually just a couple miles from our church. And uh, when my wife and I first moved to the area, we really f- we felt that absence of relationship. We felt that loneliness. Our, our area of Rockville is kind of like a bedroom community. And so people come, you know, they sleep, and then they go to work in D.C. And then, so there's real no community here. There's no community center. The nearest library is like several miles away. I mean, it's just really felt like, okay, where do people go to talk to each other? Um, and so when this brewery opened up last spring, it was just sort of, I really just felt this, you know, uh, this call from the Lord, like, this is an opportunity here uh, to get involved, uh, to try and influence my little small section of the culture in the best way that I can. And so I, you know, I met with the brewery owners, kind of pitched them my idea about providing a space for people to meet other people, to build relationships and to talk about issues that are important in our community uh, face to face. And uh, that's kind of how that launched. And so we started last September and we meet uh, the second Friday of every month. And uh, yeah, so that's what we do. Awesome. Thank you. That's, that's good. And I was, I mean, when, when I first heard about that, I was really impressed. It sounds like a really cool thing. And when I moved to uh, Gaithersburg, when I was living there, just a little bit north of you, um, I definitely felt the, the loneliness and the kind of like social isolation that happens out there in the DC suburbs. Yeah. Um, it's a big, it's a big issue. Uh, Matt, Matt, did you have any questions or comments or thoughts on just related specifically to maybe what, what, what they're doing with that rock phone tap? Yeah. So like, first off, I think that's awesome. Definitely. I, I really, I guess I appreciate that you're doing that as the first thing. I, I think it's a, a huge thing. Like even around here, like I said, we're in Carroll County and so we're not quite in the same area. Um, we don't have the same situation going on with people like traveling to DC and all. Um, but with that being said, I think pretty much everywhere, it's kind of hard to find community. Um, yeah. And especially, I think doing something such as that, where it's in a brewery kind of gives people that relaxed vibe, I suppose, <laughs> to, to be able to come into. So I think that's a great idea. I really, I really enjoy that. I don't know if... Uh, if my church church would pull that off, off. but (laughs) well, so I should clarify, it's not officially attached to uh, our church uh, because yeah, I think there's sort of a, um, a bit of a generational gap. And uh, so Mm -hmm. the older generation, when they hear brewery, they think like motorcycle bar, Uh, you know, (laughs) and so it's sort of a little bit, so I've had to sort of distance a little bit from the church itself uh, as an institution. Uh, But um, yeah, so Good work. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry. Um, well, so I, I did want to ask you too, because I don't, and I don't know with, with the whole kind of maybe distancing from the church and stuff, when, when you, when you engage a project like this and you're, you have the goal of transforming or cultivating culture, yeah. um, how, how central to that or how essential to that is, do you see the, the spread of the gospel or evangelism being, yeah. um, like when Great you look question. at transformation of culture? Sure. Yeah, I think I mean I think it's huge. Uh, I think it's part of the Great Commission, obviously, and yeah. um, you know, and so I don't want to uh, separate the work that I'm doing uh, at the brewery from a desire to to share the gospel and, and all of that. Um, I think again in our in our cultural context, uh, someone who's really shaped me here. A lot of people have shaped me on this, but one person in particular, one of my mentors, Randy Newman wrote a book called Questioning Evangelism, and really he has a good sort of just way of communicating how uh, so many people today are, if you think of people coming to faith on sort of like an A to Z spectrum, you know, with Z, like I'm ready to make a commitment to Christ, and A, like just get away from me. (laughs) You know, I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) Uh, I think, uh, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, there were a lot more people down like at the... STUV end of the spectrum, right? Like they kind of have some biblical framework, at least a morality. Uh, they, when you say that you want to talk to them about God, they sort of know which God you're talking about and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, now we're back at ABC with folks. Hmm. Right. And so when we, if we jump into a conversation like, Hey, can I talk to you about my Lord and savior, Jesus Christ with like folks were meeting at the brewery, they're like, get away from me. You know, like, why would I talk to you about him and not some other God? Or, or, you know, like they want to raise up all the cultural issues and stuff. And so there's, I think just a lot more um, work that needs to be done to invest in relationships and friendships. Uh, So um, J.I. Packer in his classic book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, uh, he wonderfully says, if you want the gift of evangelism, pray for the gift of friendship. Um, and I found that to be so true. The people who I invest, uh, time and actually show them that I care about them and that I love them. Uh, I have much more opportunity to have very winsome, good gospel conversations with them that gets to like the core of their issues and their objections, uh, to faith. Whereas I have people who come to me, you know, I have especially older folks who just haven't quite understood that paradigm shift and how far people are from the church. You know, their first question for me is, like but about the brewery, I have people asking me things like, okay, well, where's the fruit? And I say, well, I'm not, I'm not sure yet. Uh, I can tell you there's been fruit in me. You know, I've, I've yeah. grown in my compassion for others and my love for others. Uh, I haven't seen anybody uh, profess. I've seen people come to church. I haven't seen people profess faith yet. Uh, but I can tell you that if I wasn't at the brewery, that none of the people at the brewery would, would start coming to church. Like if I wasn't doing something like, I can tell you yeah. there, would be, there would be no fruit. Uh, and so, yeah. um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's just that paradigm shift and just being willing to put in that effort into the relationships and all that. And so what I tell people in my church when I try and get them on board with this Rockville on Tap thing is I tell them, like, this really isn't a group for me. Uh, this is a group for you to come uh, to either meet non-Christians or bring your non-Christian friends, have good conversations, and then follow up with them over coffee or invite them over for a meal or you know, and to carry those things through, like to see real fruit in this, in this group, it's not going to be from me doing it. It's going to be from other Christians coming and being involved and building those relationships. You know, I can't build those relationships with the 40 people who attend. Uh, but if more people, more Christians come like they can. 
And, yeah. Uh, so, so, so you would see, you do see evangelism or the, the, the advancement of the gospel as central, but you see it in more of a, a long-term, a long-term fashion that's built through like the relationships that are formed in that dialogue rather than just right away trying to evangelize. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I've been able to have beautiful gospel conversations, uh, with folks at the brewery, uh, some folks who have been really hurt by the church in the past, you know? And so the fact that I'm a pastor, like I have to earn their trust, right? Because they, they've been like really hurt. They had a church that, um, like really burned them in the past. Something happened. They saw a church blow up like they're, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I have to, I have to earn their trust to talk to them about those things. So they don't see me, you know, right away as someone who's like who they're, what they're familiar with. And so, um, yeah, you know, I think there's just a, sometimes a lot more work. And I think the people, I think the people who are complaining that maybe like my work at the brewery isn't gospel enough. Um, you know, my question for them is like, okay, man, well, how many times have you shared the gospel recently? Are, are, again, are you, are you taking shots from the cheap seats or are you doing like what, or what are you actually doing? That's better than what I'm doing. Right. In the, in the sense yeah. of, I, I don't, I don't really care for your criticism if you're not actually invested in doing something. And a lot of yeah. people who would complain about the work that I'm doing at the brewery are the same people who themselves are not involved in any gospel effort and haven't shared the gospel with anybody recently. And yeah. so I don't really take those criticisms very seriously, to be honest. Hmm. Um, That's fair. That's so. fair. Absolutely. Now, do you do you feel like you like receive any pushback from people while you're at the bars? Is it like pretty often that that you get pushback from people that are that are there, like to you bringing that message, or is it pretty well recepted most of the time? No, so um, I mean, I don't. Uh, the the discussions that we have as a group, uh, we stay away from like topics of religion as a group. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking more about sort of community issues, uh, things kind of ongoing that anybody can relate to. Uh, but then when I have those conversations one-on-one, uh, no, I mean, to be honest, I get more pushback from Christians than non-Christians. <laughs> I, I'm dead serious figured, about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like I, I, I mean, and sort of like, uh, so the brewery that I go to attracts a lot of people from the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I talk to them and they find out I'm a pastor after like, they've gotten to know me over the course of a few months, like they're excited to talk to me because they, because they recognize that I haven't treated them any differently uh, than anyone else at the, at the brewery. And, um, you know, so I have great conversations with, with folks, uh, ultimately again, who disagree with me. Um, but then I, I talk to a Christian who, you know, is going to push back because what, why is a pastor at a bar? Like, why is a pastor at a brewery? That doesn't make any sense to me, (laughs) you know? And so it's, it's, uh, honestly, it's kind of dealing with that more often than not than no that's, yeah that's kind of what i figured i was i was kind of thinking it through i was interested to know because i think it's kind of encouraging for for uh maybe for the listeners to hear i know it is for me just kind of to hear that well i guess it's discouraging to hear that church people are often against it but i kind of figured that as well but i guess it's encouraging to hear that uh it's pretty well recepted like my favorite conversations are in the world are when i'm talking with somebody and they say wait you're a youth pastor and yeah. <laughs> like you have yeah. tattoos <laughs> like what are you yeah. talking about um so yeah. so i think that's always i think that's always awesome to kind of hear that reaffirmed that 
the world isn't always looking to looking to kill all the Christians. Um, yeah. <laughs> sometimes we do a better job yeah. of that ourselves. And, and one of the, I mean, one of the biggest influences uh, that shaped how I approached this group and the things that we talk about and how the group is run is actually an atheist group that I attended for two years and I'm still kind of technically a part of, uh, but they're still in Northern Virginia and I don't get to go out there that much because it's kind of a drive for me on Friday nights. And I mean, they... Uh, this atheist and skeptics group, um, it took it took a little bit. Uh, you know, they kind of were like a little bit wary of me at first. A little skeptical, uh, but they really, yeah, they really <laughs> brought me in. They really brought me in as one of their own. Um, and I mean, there were times where, uh, you know, like the host and his wife, like they would they would wait to start the conversation if I was running late. Uh, they would make my favorite food, my favorite, uh, they knew a couple of my favorite snacks and stuff. They would always have my favorite stuff there, you know, and awesome. like they really worked hard to make me feel like I was a part of the group, even though we like disagreed on almost everything, right? <laughs> and had some great conversations. I mean, go figure that I would have these opportunities to talk about Christ and, and the scriptures in front of a room of 35, 40 people who just couldn't disagree with me more. Right. But how did that come? That came from me coming in and really trying to relate to them, really trying to understand their point of view, ask good questions, you know, and um, man, like, and so I almost feel like, and part of this is being an adult convert. So being someone who converted like after college, I often still feel like I'm, I am more comfortable in the brewery setting or at the atheist group than I am at a, um, a small group of church Christians. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, like sometimes like small groups of church Christians, like actually makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and so anyways, yeah, I know it's kind of weird to hear a pastor, you know, a pastor say that, uh, but that's just sort of my experience and how I sort of am, have been walking through this, this, this life as, as a Christian <laughs> and the experiences that I've had and, and, you know, all of that. So, Yeah. No, definitely. That's cool. <clears throat> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I don't know. You said you said there were maybe some things you wanted to circle back on. One thing I was thinking about kind of touching on as we're wrapping up here is uh, thoughts maybe either of you guys have of what what should just Christians I, – I, I feel weird using the term ordinary Christians. That maybe sounds degrading. But just like your average everyday – like what should Christians – even people who aren't employed by churches, uh, what, should, what should they be doing to maybe uh, look to be engaging culture better or engaging the people around them who aren't Christians better? Sure. Um, I'm happy to jump in on that, or I don't know, Matt, if you wanted to go. No, you can go for it. You can go for it. I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll, grab, um, I'll grab it back yeah. some, too. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, I want to share a couple things and then maybe um, a couple resources. Uh, that, yeah, that Christians could use uh, to start thinking through some of this. So uh, let me start with the resources. So I think before, uh, if, if Christians really want to have a robust view on what it means to engage the culture, I mean, we didn't even get into this, but like, you need to be able to define culture. Yeah. Right. Um, so what is your definition of culture? And are you able to distinguish different levels of culture, whether that's a local culture or a global culture? Uh, are you able to sort of tell uh, cultural artifacts apart? Like, what does this, what does a computer say about the culture that I live in versus like a different kind of culture that where computers aren't common? Like, are, am I able to sort of really analyze the culture in that way? And I think when you when you can start to define culture, 
you then have to start asking this question, well, how, before I want to talk about transforming culture, I need to realize how I've been transformed by culture, right? Like, I don't think a lot of Christians are wanting to go there. They want to jump right to the, well, what can we do to, to engage and transform culture? It's like, well, no, slow down, bro. Uh, you need to, to wrestle with how you've been shaped by culture first. Yeah, so that you know where you that's might be good. weak. That's good. That's true. Where you might be weak, where you might be seeing things um, uh, insufficiently or or weakly. So, I would say that. Uh, so wrestling with with what is culture, and so some things that have really shaped me. Uh, I've really been um, I've really been shaped by Tim Keller, uh, particularly. I've really been a big fan of his book Center Church, and what I really appreciate about Center Church is he doesn't. He, he gives his thoughts sometimes, but he really tries to present a wide spectrum of the issues and the pros and cons of multiple views. And it says, like, these are the things you need to wrestle through, right? And so it's a really good book for just sort of wrestling through big pitfalls and sort of views of ministry and all that kind of stuff. So I've, I've been really, I've really been helped by how Tim Keller lays things out. Uh, Niebuhr, obviously, in his five uh, types, even though they've been kind of critiqued and people have their... Yeah. different views on it you know decades later uh andy crouch's book culture making is very very good and he's very very good at talking about what it means to create and cultivate culture he's very good at defining culture and helping break culture down uh, and then again voss um if you want to get into like kingdom stuff um voss and his his work called uh the teaching of jesus concerning the kingdom of god and the church uh mm. is, is good there uh, lots of other books on, on on individual topics that I could I could spout off if people really wanted me to. But I, I think a couple, if I could just give like two pointers to folks before I before I close, uh, they would be this. Uh, my first my first pointer in terms of engaging the culture would be uh, check your heart. Um, so as Presbyterians or pseudo reform folks. Uh, the heart is the heart is deceitful, right? Uh, Jeremiah yeah. seventeen, like that's Amen. big. That's big in our theology, and so we need to check our hearts on how we engage culture and how we engage people. Uh, I'm always struck by by Jesus in Matthew nine when it says he he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Hmm. And I think, man, like, do I see people that way? You know, do I see people who I disagree with as folks who are harassed and helpless and like sheep without a shepherd? Um, mm. So I, w- I want to check my heart on that. And my concern is that particularly in reformed circles uh, in evangelicalism, but really in evangelicalism as a whole, there's a lot of bitterness uh, towards people. Uh, and bitterness, I think, manifests itself in uh, mocking in cynicism, in sarcasm, and being quick to offense. I see a lot of people just sort of taking shots uh, at other people, and that really concerns me. Um, Hmm. I I just don't know uh, if it's ever appropriate for a Christian to behave that way. Uh, I mean, think of, for example, with sarcasm. I mean, sarcasm comes from the Greek word uh, sarkazain, which means to tear flesh. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, why do we think it's appropriate to just be sarcastic with everybody? Right. Like that's like that's big in reform circles. This sort of like sarcastic humor. Like that's not becoming of a follower of Christ. And that we need mm-hmm. to check our heart on that. I mean, Scripture tells us, um, you know, to strive for peace with everyone. 
ensure that no root of bitterness grows, right? That's Hebrews 12. Uh, watching our conduct and keeping it honorable, that's 1 Peter 2. Uh, let our speech be gracious and seasoned with salt, that's Ephesians 5 and Colossians 4. I mean, it's all over Scripture, right? Yeah. And we just, we just allow these subtle, bitter manifestations uh, grow in our interaction with folks, I just don't think it's appropriate. And I think we really need to check mm. our heart on that. I'm, I'm guilty of that. Uh, you know, I'm guilty of that. Um, in engaging with folks, sometimes I'm, I'm, engaged, I'm guilty of being bitter towards other Christians again. Cause I'm just like, uh, yeah. you know, it's almost like I'm a Pharisee about Pharisee sometimes, you know? Uh, yeah. so I, and I have to really check my heart on that. But I think a lot of times <laughs> I want to encourage Christians, like check your heart before you engage culture. Like, do you love people? Yeah. And if not, then it's probably better to keep your mouth shut. Yeah, right? definitely. Uh, so that'd be one thing. And then number two, uh, real quick, I would say check your influences. I kind of talked about this already, but what has shaped you? You know, um, and you really, the, the best way, uh, which isn't possible for everybody, but the best way to really check your influences is to get outside of your comfort zone. And so for me, that was, uh, I, I was able to attend a, a largely Korean American church for a little over a year. And I realized just how individualistic I was, you know, when I was reading mm. scripture with folks who just had a little bit of a different cultural lens than me and who, yeah. who just really emphasized more of the community aspect than I did. And I realized like, mm. yeah, I've been shaped by individualism, by consumerism uh, and all of these things. So just really mm. being able to wrestle with that and uh, being sort of in tune with, yeah, maybe, um, maybe this sort of individualistic bent of, Western evangelicalism isn't the full picture, you know, yeah. uh, we, we tend to emphasize like the, the being a good Christian means reading your Bible every day and praying by yourself, you know, well, that wasn't possible until the printing press, right? In yeah, 1440 absolutely. before that, like all Bible reading was done in community, right? And so yeah. for thousands of years of God's people, it was all very community based. And then until very recently were people able to have their own Bibles and sort of be, by themselves and so not that that's yeah, bad. personal piety kind of thing <laughs> yeah not that, that hey, that's bad like we should celebrate that uh at the same yeah. time though remembering like okay if i only emphasize the personal side of it is insufficient so I, I would just say those couple things like regardless of your cultural views i think scripture commands that we check our heart and just sort of be wise about how we've been influenced and recognizing maybe that i don't always see the full picture so yeah absolutely that's good yeah and i think that's really uh, good. since matt any uh any thoughts as we're wrapping up yeah, definitely. Since uh, since Josh isn't here, I'll bring up Pete ends for him. But <laughs> so I guess uh, the way I would look at it is I love um, if you listen to the Bible for Normal People podcast. Um, Pete ends often mentions that there's no uh, theology without an adjective, and I just that kind of struck me the first time I heard it because I grew up, like I said, I grew up in in more of a reformed church, and and uh, that was what my life was immersed in as, as like a kid and in my early formative years and stuff. And so, uh, I guess once I hit this point where I started meeting people who had a different, um, upbringing than I did or different cultural backgrounds, there was just this point where I was like, Oh shoot. Like I've always thought of my theology as theology. And then other people have African American theology or Asian American theology or whatever it is. And then I was like, Oh shoot, I have white <laughs> like middle-class American theology. Like I've got to kind of think about that and try to figure out where that's coming from too. Um, and so uh, for me uh, that 
as, as I'm sure we'll talk about more one day, but, but like for me, that resulted in a little bit more of like a deconstruction of, of what I had grown up with. But with that being said, Hmm. I think like there's so many things that I do hold on to from, uh, more of like where your guys tradition is and, and, uh, and I appreciate that and kind of try to take that in. So I guess the way I look at going into culture and, and, uh, sharing the gospel with people and stuff is, is honestly just like, I've had the best, uh, results in sharing the gospel with people when I'm having a conversation about like, <laughs> like the other day talking with my neighbor out in the front yard, talking about shoveling the snow and stuff. And then all of a sudden there's this opportunity to talk about Jesus. And, and it's not through those knocking on door conversations for me, at least where I've, uh, been able to talk to people about Jesus and actually break, break down some of those layers. Um, so I think, yeah. I think what, uh, what Ben's got going on here with, with, uh, going and hanging out at, at, uh, at a, uh, brewery and stuff, I think is awesome. Cause that's the way you can kind of break down those walls and, and start talking with people. Maybe I shouldn't mention walls it might trigger somebody, but, <laughs> but, <it's>, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but, Oh boy. Oh. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah, that's good. That's good. And the stuff you, st- the stuff you brought up about different theology, I mean, that could be a whole episode in and of itself right there. Yeah. Um, sure. but we, we won't go there right now, but um, <laughs> thanks for coming on, Ben. I don't know. I, I don't know if – did you have any other thoughts or anything you wanted to come back to before we wrap up here or you feel like – No, I, I mean I can – I could uh, if you want me to list out a few more books that have, have been, at least been helpful for me. Sure, if you have a couple. Yeah, yeah, go for um, it. So there, there's uh, one that I have here that I think does a really good job. As, as far as I got, know this guy, is not a Christian. Um, but he is really is talking about from a Western perspective, sort of the collapse of uh, authority and um, um, expertise. I don't know if you've heard of the book, The Death of Expertise by Thomas Nichols. Yeah, I've heard of that. And he's, yeah. and he's, he's sort of talking about how in Western culture and modern Western culture, there's just this real collapse of institutional authority and respect for persons with sort of knowledge and, and expertise. And it's almost like he says, the, the death of expertise is not just an indifference, uh, to folks with authority or expertise, but like a hatred, like we all want to be the people. Hmm. Like my opinion is just as meaningful as anybody else's. And yeah, and when you realize, like you read that, and you realize how much having Google at your fingertips has shaped you, uh, how much the every person needs to go to college and like have like all degrees are equivalent. Uh, you know how much like that has yeah. shaped you, and like all this stuff. And you're just like, wow, I. I have a lot of things that I need to work through that have like really shaped me in a negative way. So like that's been helpful for me. Uh, Nancy Piercy's book, love thy body is very helpful for thinking about um, sexual ethics from a Christian perspective. Uh, Anything Rosaria Butterfield is very, very good. Her book on hospitality. uh, I mean, she obviously has her whole story of coming out of an LGBT lifestyle, um, which is helpful, but her book on hospitality is wonderful and really getting back to what the Bible calls us to there. I think Russell Moore's book onward is very good in thinking about engaging the culture. Uh, 12, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You is very good by oh, yeah, Tony, Tony Reinke. Good book. Um, again, I'm not sure where she is in her relationship with the Lord, but anything Brene Brown is excellent. I've seen like, you posting about her a oh, lot. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to realize how much our culture has been influenced by shame, read Brene Brown. You realize everyone is struggling with shame. And you want to talk about the opportunity yeah, to, to bring the gospel into your friendships, read Brene Brown, and you will see how all of us are just so shaped by shame 
and it's I mean it's hmm. scary because you have to go deep yourself and and explore. But uh, so that's very very good. Um, Evangelism: The Sovereignty of God. J.F. Hacker has really helped me. Uh, Randy Newman's book, uh, Questioning Evangelism, has been very helpful. Uh, I would say there's another book, uh, Divided by Faith. Uh, gosh, and who was that that wrote that? Um, Christian Smith, I think, was one of the authors. And I uh, can't remember the name of the other guy, but Divided by Faith was very good in terms of thinking. You talked about, if you want to start exploring some of the institutional issues, uh, Divided by Faith is good. And then, uh, yeah, I've actually, this is going to be a little bit of a controversial note to end on, but uh, Dr. <laughs> King <laughs> has really influenced me. Uh, Dr. King, okay. uh, when I read him and the way he deals with issues like communism, and the way that he, he he condemns communism, but then says, you can't just condemn it. You need to actually deal with the issues that allows for communism to fester. Um, I think that's just really helpful. It's a really helpful paradigm for me uh, to, to think mm. through. And so, uh, so, so yeah, anything Dr. King, you can get his sermons collected and just, just read them. Read, read a guy at a time. You know, read, read someone from 50, 60 years ago going through, going through what he went through and you'll, it'll, it'll challenge you. So Awesome. Um, Awesome. Yeah, well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today, Ben. Hopefully, we'll have you back on. I feel like this is again one of those topics where I feel like there were so many things we could have just dove so much deeper on, uh, yeah. but you know, time is limited. So yeah, well, <laughs> thanks we, for joining we, I know us. we went long, but yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, we'll have you on again soon. And Matt, thanks for filling in for Josh today. Um, I'm sure yeah, the listeners will be demanding demanding more of you soon. Um, <laughs> No, so, uh, Josh back real quick. so yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But thanks guys for joining. Um, for those of you listening, uh, Ben, I believe you have a blog, right? I wanted to, I wanted to promote that real quick. What's, oh, sure. what's your blog? Yeah, it's just Ben Hine. Uh, so B E N H E I N dot U S. Uh, and I've been trying to do that more regularly, like once a week this year. So I appreciate All you giving right. the shout out there. Awesome. Yeah, I've read. I mean, I've read some of those posts, and and some of the ones I've read have been really, really helpful. So, uh, so definitely check out Ben's blog. Um, for more of the podcast, obviously, hopefully, you know where to find us since you found us already. But we're on, you know, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that stuff. So check out uh, past episodes. We have an, uh, a website called theologydoesn'tsuck.com, and you can contact us on there through the contact us page. We kind of have a blog that's starting to go, so you can check in on that, see if there's anything going on there. Um, we also just recently started a Facebook discussion group. Uh, so if you just search Theology Doesn't Suck on Facebook, you should find it. It's a closed group, so you have to join to participate, but it's for anyone who wants to talk about maybe one of the episodes or ask a question or suggest something or really just any conversation related to what we're talking about. Uh, check us out there. We also have an Instagram at theology doesn't suck. So that's everything I have to plug, I think. So thank you guys for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully it was edifying to you and uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Thanks, and guys. Hold, hold on, Matt. One, one second. You need to give the obligatory go caps since Josh isn't here. All right. I've got to do what now? You have to, you have to say Josh's closing line, which is go caps. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Go Cavs. All right, thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>